Welcome to What the Food with Karen Van Barneveld. Much of the time, we mindlessly consume food without really thinking about what's in it and how it affects us. Not only is some food addictive, it also might be unsafe. On our program, you'll find the answers about why food is addictive, how it affects us, and how to find a safe route to better health. Now, here is your host, Karen Van Barneveld. Hey, this is Karen Van Barneveld with WTF, What the Food, where we tell all the little dirty little secrets of what's on your plate. Here with me today to shed light on a lot of those secrets is Carrie Gillum. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So Carrie is a veteran investigative journalist with more than 25 years of experience covering corporate news, including 17 years as a senior correspondent for Reuters International News Service. She's the author of Whitewash, the story of a weed killer, cancer, and the corruption of science. And this is the book that I've read twice that got me interested in inviting Carrie on the show. This is an expose of corporate corruption in agriculture. The book won the coveted Rachel Carson Book Award from the Society of Environmental Journalists in 2018. uh, Gillum works now as a research director for the nonprofit U.S. Right to Know and as a columnist for The Guardian. Her second book will be out in early 2021. What's the name of your second book, Carrie? Well, it's the main title is the Monsanto Papers. Uh, it's really more of a legal thriller about the court case, the very first trial uh, that pitted a groundskeeper against Monsanto, uh, you know, for allegations that that exposure to its weed killer caused his cancer. So it's it's a it's more it reads like fiction, uh, but it's nonfiction. Uh huh. A little easier read than whitewash, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, white whitewash is is. Uh... It's a fascinating book, but I did have to read it twice, all the way through. (laughs) It's it's more of an academic, uh, scientific, I guess, book, Mm -hmm. expose. Yeah. So when did you start reporting on food and agriculture and why? Yeah, well, it wasn't by choice. (laughs) Uh, You know, I was a banking reporter. Um, I lived in Atlanta and I loved covering, you know, big banks and, and finance and that sort of thing. But Reuters, uh, the international news agency, asked me to move to Kansas and start covering food and ag and start covering this company named Monsanto. Uh, This was in the 1990s, and Monsanto had just rolled out genetically engineered soybeans and corn, and uh, they were really reshaping uh, the way our food is grown and and produced and and, uh, remaking our agricultural um, system to a larger degree. So that was a very, you know, it was a big, important story. It was a, a lot to learn. Um, you know, food and agriculture is one of our, uh, you know, most important, I would say maybe the most important industries, both in terms of its economic impact and in terms of the impact on our health, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was 1998 and I took the job, moved to Kansas, and that's where I live now. And uh, so it's 22 years I've spent a lot of time with farmers and farm fields and a lot of time with these big companies like Monsanto and DuPont and Syngenta and BASF and Dow and, you know, companies that no longer exist as standalones. They've merged or been bought, you know, by others now. But uh, yeah, so I mean, 22 years, really, I've been writing and researching and learning and sharing what I've learned. And I appreciate that. I know a lot of people appreciate that. Um, what are your chief concerns or findings? 
so, you know, it was really, uh, I, I've come a long way, I guess. In the 90s, I didn't really worry about, you know, what I ate. Um, I didn't worry about, you know, chemicals in my food. I didn't worry about herbicides, Roundup, or any other chemicals that were used by farmers. I didn't really know much about it. Um, now I know so much, I guess, that uh, I really have profound fears. I mean, I said this in whitewash, you know, for, for our children um, and their future and, and their health and the health of the environment. Uh, we are quite literally poisoning ourselves and allowing the poisoning of our food, our water, our air, our environment, our own bodies, um, because of these pesticide companies that have essentially assured consumers and regulators and lawmakers and everything that that these chemicals are necessary to feed the world, right? You've heard that before. I'm sure you're listening mm-hmm. to that. Of uh, course. We have to use these things to feed the world. Well, it's just not true. The data doesn't support that. Uh, the research, the scientific information doesn't support that at all. Um, what, you know, the reason that so many people, so many farmers and others are embracing pesticides is because the pesticide companies make a lot of money um, that way. And uh, they're pushing these things as hard as they can uh, literally down our throats through mm. agricultural production. So, you know, that's what I've learned. And I, I think that it's important that people understand that. And then they can make choices about what they buy, what they eat, what they feed their families, what they, you know, how they vote, how they communicate with policymakers. I just, um, it's, it's important information that pertains to public health, you know, today and for future generations. Right. And we do vote with our forks. <laughs> we do with our forks, with our yeah. wallets. Yes. Yes. Well, you spent a lot of time with um, conventional and organic farmers. What about what you see happening in those sectors based on uh, consumer demands? Yeah. I mean, so <clears throat> I, I do spend a lot of time and, and talk to farmers um, you know, conventional, meaning that, you know, they use sort of these conventional practices, they use inputs, synthetic inputs, herbicides, uh, insecticides, fungicides, uh, other chemicals, and then the organic or the regenerative agriculture um, farmers who are really trying to grow more with less, you know, be more environmentally sustainable in their production. And, you know, Again, what, what we're seeing is that it can be done. You don't need to use pesticides to achieve, you know, good yields, strong yields. Uh, you don't need to use pesticides to, to make money, uh, to have a good crop. Um, and there are farmers that are promoting this now. We're actually starting to see a shift change with our USDA and with a lot of our universities where they're starting to provide money. Um, incentives and grants and, and research dollars for more sustainable growing practices. Um, and that is driven, as you mentioned, a lot by the fact that consumers are becoming more aware and consumers are saying, yeah. I want food that has fewer pesticides. I want mm-hmm. food that's healthier. I want the environment to be healthier. So you're seeing that, but you're still seeing, you know, the vast majority is still grown uh, conventionally with with chemicals. And it's something that you know, we're seeing play out in demise of, you know, birds, the demise in our insect population, demise in our bee population, all very important um, players in the biodiversity that is essential to our environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're seeing cancer, you know, uh, rampant in our society, 
we talk a lot about COVID and we should talk about COVID today. There's a very big influence uh, on our health from food and how that plays out uh, with this COVID pandemic. But far more people are dying every year of cancer than are dying of COVID. And we're just not paying attention. Um, you know, I think if people knew that over 650,000 people every year in the United States are dying of cancer, um, if we were running a ticker tape on CNN like we are for COVID, uh, you know, maybe people would care. But uh, right now we're just sort of becoming accustomed to cancer, uh, which many cancers we know through the science are, are caused by environmental toxins, are caused by pesticides and other chemicals in our environment. Um, and we, you know, we need to do something about it. It's roughly 40% of every person in the United States who now is expected to get cancer in their lifetime. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I've been uh, telling people for many years, you know, there's no money in health. So, you know, what's the incentive for people to really, uh, for big pharma to stop poisoning us with pharmaceuticals and for big food to start helping us with real food, with real nutrition and less toxicity. So you mentioned something about uh, COVID and you wrote a piece about how junk food industry might be contributing to the high rates of COVID in minority populations. Is that like in food deserts, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, if you if you kind of go down that rabbit hole and look at all of that, you know, area of research, obviously, um, people who are living in sort of lower income areas, disadvantaged areas, um, tend to not have easy access uh, or as easy access um, to healthy food. To you're probably not going to find a Whole Foods, you know, <laughs> easily accessible um, to people living in some disadvantaged areas and communities. Uh, you know, we have a lot of minority communities, African-American, Hispanic and everything that have been documented to be living in these um, areas where they don't have a lot of easy access to healthy food or maybe they don't have the income um, or they have different priorities about how they want to spend their money on food. They also tend to be living in areas maybe where there are higher rates of air pollution, water pollution. You know, they could be living next to plants that are emitting these um, dangerous uh, emissions. So, you know, these particularly vulnerable people um, that, we, that we know that we see are dying of higher rates of COVID, you know, they are subject to comorbidities. You're seeing obesity is a major factor uh, in death rates um, from people who are dying of COVID. A lot of them are also obese or have heart disease or have diabetes. Mm -hmm. And we know that all of that is tied very closely um, in many cases to what you're eating, what you're putting in your body. So, you know, it's all really coming home to roost, I guess. Um, you know, your health is dependent, you know, to, to a very critical degree on on the quality of the food that, that we consume. Uh, and, and COVID just sort of illustrates that uh, all the more. Yeah. Keep your immune system up. You can't do that when you're on, you know, four to six different pharmaceuticals and you're obese and right. And you're eating diabetes. You know, fast food and right. You know, you right. need to be eating healthy food. Uh, you know, for my, you know, I, maybe it's crazy. I don't know, but I've felt a lot more empowered through COVID uh, by eat, trying to eat organic, big handfuls of organic spinach every day. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> um, you know, that's an immune booster. It's, it's good for my body. It's healthy. And uh, you know, I'm trying to do everything I can to stay healthy and, 
the food that I put in my mouth and I put on the table for my kids is a big part of that. Yeah. Well, um, when I read your book, I saw that you've done a lot of freedom of information, freedom of information, information requests to the federal government, and you sued the EPA twice, the FDA once, to gain access to internal government documents. Can you tell us what you found? Yeah, I mean, and that's a really unfortunate, you know, element uh, or truth of our federal government, and it uh, was made more so under the Trump administration, although it certainly was not great under Obama or previous administrations either. But there is a law of more than 50 years old, Freedom of Information Act, that essentially says the government's business is our business. You know, we, the taxpayers, have a right to know what our public agencies are doing uh, on our behalf in terms of policy and spending and decision making and that sort of thing. And so we have a right to see those documents, to see internal documents. Um, the government quite often doesn't want to turn those over. So, yeah. you know, sometimes you have to file a lawsuit. Um, what, what I was primarily interested in, you know, was a variety of things, but pesticide residues in our food, um, pesticides, uh, you know, that are impacting water levels, they're impacting health, and then also communications between companies such as Monsanto and the Environmental Protection Agency, for instance, and the Food and Drug Administration and that sort of thing. And what you see, and you, if you read Whitewash, you understand part of that, really clo close and cozy and collaborative relationships that are going on behind the scenes between these companies yeah. and the EPA and the FDA. I mean, couple of examples. Uh, with the EPA, we saw, for instance, Monsanto, when, when the International Agency for Research on Cancer classified glyphosate, which is the herbicide that was developed and patented and introduced by Monsanto, when they classified it as a probable human carcinogen, you saw from the internal documents that I was able to obtain that Monsanto immediately sent what they called talking points to the EPA to tell the EPA how to talk to consumers right. about this situation, which, you know, some people may say that's not a big deal. I find that outrageous. I don't think that the company should be telling the EPA what to tell us. I think right. the EPA should be independently, honestly, and transparently telling us what they know about this situation. Another example was um, from the Food and Drug Administration. We found um, documents in which they were talking about finding glyphosate levels, pesticide residues, higher than legally allowed um, in certain foods, at Ill illegally high levels. And you see these internal communications where they're talking back and forth and, and one supervisor is telling another FDA employee, don't worry about it. We're not going to publicize it. We're not going to count it. Don't worry about it. You know, essentially, we're just not going to tell anybody and it will just go away. Um, so you see these sorts of things. Um, very, very close relationships between the companies. And you see the regulatory agencies time and again trying to work to protect the companies rather than protect public health. Right. That's, um, that's been going on for a lot, a lot, a lot of years. Uh, I years. remember talking about uh, Evangelos Vallenato's book. Um, yes. Who worked at the EPA for, what, 20 years or something. What was the name of that book? Um, Silent. Silent. 
or poisons, poison po spring, poison spring, right? And it's a horror story, a horror story, but yeah. uh, very good information. Um, I read in your book, uh, and I'm gonna just read this quick paragraph. A common tactic is to funnel industry messaging through individuals who appear to be independent of industry and who carry a gloss of expertise and acclaim that gives them credibility, credibility with consumers, lawmakers, and regulators. These experts appear unaffiliated with industry and thus unbiased. When the public doesn't know, what the public doesn't know is that behind the scenes, corporations are often funding and collaborating closely with the very same professors and other professionals who tout propaganda that serves industry interests. It's all a part of a strategy of spin that has been used by the tobacco industry, the soft drink industry, pharmaceuticals, and of course, agriculture. Comments on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think before I really got into this, I would have read that and thought, eh, that sounds like a pretty conspiracy minded, that can't really be true, that has to be sort of embellished. Um, but it's not. I mean, that, that's sort of one of the jaw-dropping things, I guess, that I learned is that there's such deception and such yeah. intentional, paid-for, directed, intentional deception um, of con for consumers. You know, uh, that I just I just think it's outrageous. And yes, I mean, we have documents again through U.S. Right to Know, um, through my reporting at at Reuters, uh, state and federal. Uh, document requests have turned up emails and communications that show very clearly numbers of academics around the world, not just in the United States, um, who are who are doing the bidding um, of these different companies. And for instance, you know, there's just a few that are so blatant. There was an email, and I'm going to paraphrase because I'm not looking at it now, but from an academic who was being flown to, I think it was somewhere in India, uh, to give a talk to regulators and the public there. And he was going to talk about how safe GMOs and pesticides were. And you see him talking to Monsanto and he's saying, remind me, where am I going? Who am I speaking <laughs> to? What's the subject of my speech? And you see them talking back and forth. Monsanto's preparing his slide presentation for him. You see Monsanto preparing videos. You see Monsanto sending money to different academic um, or different uh, front groups that say they're academic groups. And Monsanto saying it's really important that we stay in the background, that nobody know that we're part of this because it will affect the credibility if they know we're funding this. Um, you know, it's just it's it, it's the way business is done is you fund these organizations and individuals who look like they're independent to go out and talk to consumers and lawmakers and regulators and others and say, hey, this stuff is really, really safe. You can believe me because I'm not affiliated with the company. And then they turn around and they collect a check. <laughs> yeah, okay, pretty scary stuff. Um, so we, we've got the, the freedom, of freedom of Information request, suing the EPA. What, um, what else have you found out about the uh, effects of pesticides and cancer? Yeah, so, and, and I talk about in my book, and I guess in, you know, conversations like this, um, I've written a lot, of course, about Monsanto and this particular chemical glyphosate, which is in Roundup. You know, mm -hmm. people probably know Roundup better than they know the word glyphosate. Um, 
and and I write about that. Monsanto is one of the you know most powerful wealthy companies selling seeds and chemicals. It's now owned by Bayer, the German pharmaceutical company. Mm-hmm. Um, but glyphosate and Monsanto are really just, I say, the poster child. Maybe it should be poster children, I guess, <laughs> for the bigger problem, which is that we have failed to heed the warning of Rachel Carson, you know, back in the 50s, mm-hmm. you know, that indiscriminate use of pesticides was going to put us all in danger. You know, you wouldn't have a silent spring. You would no longer hear the birds, you know, singing. Um, indiscriminate use of pesticides brings great harm to human health and environmental health. And we listened for a while. We formed the EPA. You saw all these environmental justice organizations pop up sort of in the 70s and strengthen in the 80s. But you've seen the pendulum shift back where, you know, we have a handful of very powerful companies who have consolidated. Bayer bought Monsanto, Dow and DuPont joined, you know, ChemChina and Syngenta joined forces. These companies have become very powerful. They make billions and billions of dollars a year. They have great influence over the regulatory um, bodies around the world and political forces around the world. And they are telling the world, you need to use our chemicals to grow your food. You need to use a mm-hmm. lot of them. Yeah. And we're seeing higher and higher levels of pesticides in our foods. We're seeing cancers uh, in children increase. We're seeing cancers in adults, many types of cancers increase. Non-Hodgkin lymphoma is one, particularly tied to pesticides. Parkinson's is tied to pesticides. Um, you're also seeing a lot of endocrine disruption uh, tied to pesticide use. Uh, this, is, this is affecting hormones. You're seeing a lot of studies that show that not only glyphosate, but a lot of other pesticides used in our food production are endocrine disruptors, means that, meaning that they interfere with our fertility. Um, they interfere with growth, um, neural development, immune system development. Uh, you know, it's no wonder you look around and you think, gosh, people seem very sick. You know, we have a lot of people who are, who are sick these days. Um, well, you know, <laughs> it's not a wonder if you know what we're eating and what's in mm-hmm. our food and water. And, you know, I could, I could point out as well, it's, it's, very hard to escape. I think you made this comment um, before we went on the air about the ubiquitous nature of, say, glyphosate as an example. And it is true, but it's true of other chemicals and pesticides as well. Our own government researchers have documented glyphosate residues in rainfall um, and in mm-hmm. surface waters and in tap water. So, you know, even if you're eating intentionally um, food that maybe you grow yourself or is organically grown by your next door neighbor or something like that, it's still very difficult to escape these toxins when yeah. they're in the air and the water. Yeah. Wow. This is, and now we're all very depressed, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, when you, you're, you're talking about the, um, the effects on, uh, you know, children, and and I was looking in your book again the uh, the excerpt by Philippe Grandjean, co-author mm-hmm. of the report, uh, and a Harvard adjunct professor, saying that uh, let's see, he urges women who are pregnant who pl- or who plan to become pregnant or who are breastfeeding to seek out organically grown foods because their pesticide levels are far less than those found in conventionally grown foods. 
and overall consumption, consumption of organic foods substantially decreases the consumer's dietary pesticide exposure, as well as acute and chronic risks from such exposure. So in the, you know, with just a, a couple of minutes here, can you talk about uh, pesticide residues and their effects on little ones? Sure, a yes. couple of minutes. Sure, and, and it is very difficult, we have to say, because there is no real, in fact, I just wrote about this a week or so ago, there's no established data collection, no consistent biomonitoring that goes on to provide the data that we need to truly understand. So you, you know, the connection um, between pesticide residues in foods and children's health. You have various studies, you have various researchers at Harvard or other places around the world trying to look at this, but you have no ongoing government supported, you know, regulatory supported biomonitoring, which is what we really need. Um, and that's by design. If you don't, if you don't test, you're not going to find anything, right? Right. But the studies that have happened show us enough that organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics and the United Nations and, and many other organizations around the world who are um, concerned with public health have said pesticides are particularly danger, dangerous to children. And the main exposure route for children is dietary. They're not out working in farm fields, right? They're not right. out backyard spraying Roundup. They're the little ones who are sitting there eating the apples or the peaches that are laced with the pesticides. Mm -hmm. And because their body weight, um, you know, they're taking in food uh, at a rate that is more um, dangerous for them because they typically are going to have a lower body weight than an right. adult that might be eating that apple. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, the toxicology studies, epidemiology studies, there's a study um, that's looked at uh, children and pregnant women in uh, out of Indiana, and they found that women who had higher uh, glyphosate levels in their urine had worse birth outcomes. That's just one teeny tiny little study that, mm. you know, the, the body of evidence is building around the world, yeah. but it is, it is frustrating to the researchers I talk to that there isn't more being done, um, more money being put into this and more and more data collection. Yeah. All right, listeners, you can find out more about Carrie Gillum on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, I think. Is that right, Carrie? Sure. Yes, all of it. <laughs> all right. And then coming up after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more, a lot more about uh, pesticides in foods and organics. Is it better? Is it not? And what, uh, what is the name of your, oh, the Monsanto Papers, right? That's the name of your book that's coming out in 2021. The Monsanto Papers, and it's got a big, long second name, and you think that I could remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Deadly, oh, here it is. Deadly Secrets, Corporate Corruption, and One Man's Search for Justice. I love it. <laughs> All right. Stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Are you confused about what to eat? What's really in some of the foods you've been eating? And how they affect the health of you and your loved ones? Did you know that what people eat can affect addictive behaviors? How did food get to be so confusing, so toxic, and so addictive? When and why did this start? What is safe and where can I find it? Join Karen Van Barneveld and her guests to find answers to many of your important questions on What the Food? Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. are listening to What the Food. To reach Karen Van Barneveld or her guest on the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to karen at whatthefoodfilm.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back to WTF, What the Food. I'm with Carrie Gillum, best-selling author of Whitewash, the story of a weed killer, cancer, and the corruption of science. And um, at the break, Carrie and I were, were talking about organics. And I know from my experience and my research that because our soils have been so depleted over the last 70 plus years of minerals and trace minerals that you can't physically eat enough fruits and vegetables to get what we used to have as far as nutrition and hence the supplement market came about, which is a multi-billion dollar a year market as well. And so I grow as much as I can to eat organically and I buy as much organic as possible. But even when I had my uh, urine tested about eight or nine years ago, I came back with a 0.04% glyphosate level which coincidentally is the exact same percentage of the water, drinking water in Prescott that was tested maybe 12, 15 years ago. And I just find that very fascinating. Um, do you have anything to comment about that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think you can escape um, in this world today uh, having residues of these chemicals. You know, I, I think if we did a full workup for all of the different pesticides and chemicals and contaminants in our blood and urine, we would be <laughs> tragically alarmed. <laughs> um, so maybe it's better not to know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's not surprising. I've had my urine tested and I, I pretty much if you get your urine tested, you're going to find that you have glyphosate in it, I would say. Um, yeah. It, it just depends on what you eat and how much you eat it. Um, and, you know, eating organic, as you say, that you, you do and growing your own food is certainly one of the, you know, ways that that people are striving to, to be healthier. Um, you know, I don't do that, I guess. I live in the suburbs and I, I do have milk and eggs delivered to my house, which I love um, from an organic dairy farm. But, uh, but that's, nice. but then uh, Whole Foods is, <laughs> is what I turn to otherwise. Right down the road, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you write that uh, most of us are probably consuming several different pesticides in our daily meals. What kind of pesticides do you... Yeah, do you so chlorpyrifos. I mean, we should talk about a chemical called chlorpyrifos, um, unless that turns people off because it sounds so nerdy. But um, 
chlorpyrifos is an insecticide uh, that has been pretty popular um, with farmers. Uh, it was banned from household use uh, in America, you know, two decades ago because it is known to be so damaging to children's brains, um, mm. uh, young developing brains, both in utero before they're born or, or after birth. Uh, that are trying to, to grow and learn. And, and, you know, if they're exposed to chlorpyrifos, it really can uh, have long lasting um, negative effects, the scientists have found. So it was banned. It's been banned in many other countries. Um, but, you know, Dow Chemicals sold a lot of chlorpyrifos and they really didn't want it banned in food production and agriculture. So this long running saga um, different groups had sued the EPA and wanted it banned and it went back and forth and it was a court battle and the Obama administration finally said, yes, we're going to ban this stuff. The evidence is overwhelming. Our own EPA scientists have said no amount is safe in food or water, no amount at all. And we know from FDA and USDA testing that the fourth most prevalent pesticide found in our food and water is chlorpyrifos. So we need mm. to ban this. It was scheduled to be banned in early 2017. What happened in early 2017 is we had a new president and a new administration and a new leadership at the EPA. Yeah. We also had Dow Chemical sit down with that new president's administration and make a very hefty donation to the inaugural fund. And we had the ban on chlorpyrifos disappear. Um, and so Shocking. it is still used in farming in the United States, even as other countries have been... Uh, more interested in banning it and protecting public health. Um, but, you know, that's just one example, I guess, um, of another pesticide that we should be really concerned about. A lot of scientists will tell you, you should be much more worried about chlorpyrifos than glyphosate, um, wow. perhaps because of the impact on, on our young children's brains. Um, you know, you're seeing you're seeing a lot of, you know, rise in, in problems with children in terms of ADHD and, and uh, other issues that they have uh, neurodevelopmentally. So, you know, that is, that is one thing we need to talk about. Um, Thailand has looked at, this is a segue, I guess, to another conversation about political influence, but mm -hmm. Thailand uh, last year said they were going to ban chlorpyrifos. Uh, for as a public health measure, they were very concerned about chlorpyrifos in food and the impact on their young people. They also said they were going to ban glyphosate because similarly of concern for public health. Uh, the uh, U.S. State Department got involved at the request of Monsanto and Bayer. And we have documents showing that they ran to our U.S. government and said, you need to make sure this doesn't happen. Uh, we then see the U.S. government pressure Thailand uh, to make sure that they don't ban glyphosate. And then you see that ban on glyphosate in Thailand go away. Wow. Um, so. Uh, I wish know, that surprised me. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that goes on and, and people, I know that people say, well, but if it's legal, you know, if our governments are saying it's okay and it's illegal and it's not being banned, it must be okay. Um, but when you pull back the curtain, you see that's not the conversation. The conversation isn't, oh, it's really healthy. The conversation is, oh, it makes us a lot of money, you know, yeah. and we need to protect that. Well, that's like when, um, you know, we find that other countries have banned certain ingredients in certain, you know, products like Kellogg's, for instance, um, right. and they're not allowed to 
receive those products in their country or they're not allowed to get those products shipped into their country or they have to be labeled. And our country doesn't have those labeling laws. And those same products that are banned in those other countries that are shipped from the United States are not banned here and they're not labeled here. Exactly. So, I think go ahead. That, that I learned Ed, that I found really just shocking um, was about the residue levels that are allowed in food. And, mm. you know, it's not a surprise to anyone in government that pesticide residues, you know, carry all the way from the farm field through processing. You know, even if you're talking about applesauce or something that isn't, you know, a fresh whole food, but has been processed you are still going to find residues of the pesticides that were sprayed on that farm field in that finished food that you're going to feed to your little kid in the high chair. Yeah. And the levels that are considered legal or safe by our government are not set necessarily based on scientific research. They're set based on what the companies who sell the chemicals ask the government to set them at. Exactly. If you look at a database of residue levels that are legally allowed around the world, you see that the U.S. consistently allows the highest levels. Um, There is no country that that says, oh, yes, you can have more glyphosate in your food uh, (laughs) than than the United States. It's so absurd. (laughs) It should be criminal. I, Um, I actually do think it should be criminal. I think that if we criminalized a lot of the deception that has gone on, you know, we do see the government occasionally reach out and they'll find somebody or they'll, you know, issue some sort of, um, you know, order restricting use or something like that. But, but there's never or very rarely a real accounting, um, you know, a real holding of executives accountable for the Mm -hmm. harm that's done by their companies. (laughs) Well, do you think that organics are the total answer? Because I know that they're not 100% free of pesticides. They're not 100% free of pesticides. Um, And that's something people should understand as well. It's it's a very imperfect system. And there are a lot of loopholes, maybe would be the wrong word. I mean, for instance, you can use chicken litter as fertilizer, um, you know, in organic production. and but the but the chicken poop or the chicken litter um, might contain pesticides because the chicken has consumed, you know, grain or or other products that contain pesticides. And so its feces, its its litter, its poop is going to contain those pesticides. And then those pesticides are going to be spread over your organic field. So and then those pesticides are going to show up in your finished organic product. Um, it's not a perfect system by any means. Um, but it certainly is a better one than, than what we see in conventional if you're concerned about your health and if you're concerned about the environment. And that's if we have time to talk about that. I yes. mean, the, the health of our soil uh, is, is, again, kind of a nerdy thing to talk about and to focus on, but it's really critical to the health of our food, to, to the nourishment that we can get from our food. So if we need, you know, a healthy meal for our kids, we need to make sure that the soils where that food is grown have essential critical nutrients, you know, good water, oxygen, root support, like all of that is what these plants need. 
And when you are using synthetic chemicals, you're, it's sort of a vicious treadmill. You're saying, oh, I have a lot of weeds, so I'm going to use a lot of herbicide. Um, but then you destroy a lot of important microorganisms in the soil, and then maybe your crop is going to become more susceptible to disease. And so then you need to use a lot of fungicides. <laughs> um, you know, it's this, you're constantly messing with mother nature mm-hmm. and so then you're constantly having to it's like taking a medicine and you get side effects and so then you have to take another medicine to treat the side effects that's what right. we're doing as we are in this vicious treadmill of pesticide use in our farm fields and you know maybe it was it i i do know a lot of farmers you know loved this at the beginning and saw that the the roundup ready system and glyphosates directly over crops and a lot of these synthetic chemicals were so helpful to them and beneficial, but it was a short-term solution. And over the longer term, we're seeing then, you know, they either need to use more and more and more and more chemicals to try to fix what they've broken in the soil, um, or they need to completely shelve the system and start over <laughs> in a more regenerative, sustainable way. Yeah, and, and they're also coming up with these um, like monster bugs and monster weeds now as a result of of the, you know, what they've been doing to their crops. Right. This is, this is, the, I guess, when I say messing with mother nature, mother nature messes back. So, right. Yeah. You're overusing these synthetic weed killers while the weeds develop resistance. And then right. you get these, what they call super weeds or monster super. weeds that you then can't kill anymore with chemicals. And they can be very detrimental, very devastating to farmers. They have been. I wrote about that in my book as well. And and yes, you get these insects that no longer uh, will die from these insecticides. They become resistant as well. So um, it's a vicious, a vicious cycle where the alternative, these farmers who are engaging in this regeneration, regenerative agriculture, you know, they are really trying to understand and work with mother nature and work with the microscopic organisms in the soil and, you know, add to sort of the matter, the decay matter um, that goes back into the soil so that they can grow healthier crops. So they're doing things like planting, you know, cover crops um, Mm -hmm. and rotating um, to a greater degree and using natural fertilizers. Um, So, you know, they're seeing pretty good results in many, in many cases. In others, they're failing miserably. Um, But (laughs) But I think it's really heartening to see that there are, you know, hundreds, thousands of farmers out there who are seeing where the future needs to go and, and are trying to get there. Yes. So what, uh, what about all this affects our climate change and uh, biodiversity? Biodiversity. No, oh, I mean, it's all, again, it's all connected, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. The carbon capture of the soil um, soil and agriculture can do a great deal to mitigate um, climate change, climate crisis. Um, if we have healthy soils um, that can, you know, keep in carbon and, and capture that and, and translate that to healthy foods. And uh, it's, all, it's all one big cycle. Um, but when we, when we damage just even one part of it, then we damage the whole. And again, I mean, uh, this isn't news or surprising there is abundant research out there showing um that this is one way that we can maybe reverse is too strong of a word or but mitigate or lessen um the detrimental impacts of climate change if we if we get on it um Mm -hmm. so 
Mm-hmm. Well, you're a mom of three kids. What do they eat? How does, <laughs> how does being a mom influence your work? Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> well, they're older now. My, my oldest uh, is 22, and she, she won't eat any meat. She's a, she's a diehard, uh, won't eat any meat because, you know, she wants to protect the climate, and she understands how uh, intensive animal agriculture and production of meat is, uh, you know, very detrimental to the environment and the climate, uh, which is a whole nother radio show. I suppose we could get into. <laughs> She's very aware of what she eats and very intentional about it. Um, my 18-year-old, you know, is not <laughs> so much, um, but we do. I mean, I, I I buy they eat organic strawberries every morning for breakfast if I can track them down. You know, and organic blueberries and. As I said, we have our milk delivered from a local farm and our eggs and um, cheeses. And I got our turkey from a, you know, our, uh, what do you call it when they, they graze? <laughs> turkey. A turkey uh, farm. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it was delicious. You know, it was wonderful and it was delicious. So, but it's not as easy as just running to the, the grocery store down the street. You have to, you have to be intentional about it. I agree. I've been preaching to my kids and grandkids for many, many, many years. And some are now sending me pictures of products, food products, asking, is this okay, Grandma? <laughs> well, that's great. Boy, it is. Good. It is great. That's and then in the same breath, they're, you know, they're drinking these uh, super drinks. What are they called? Uh, oh, no. The energy uh, drinks? The energy best. drinks. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't even know what the, the names of them are. But, I think uh, personally, uh, you know, it, and it is all just a personal choice. I think we all have to figure out for ourselves where our balance is, you know, where our comfort zone is. And, and that's based on our income, our accessibility to the food, you know, our our situation with our kids or ourselves. And, you know, so if my kid has, you know, macaroni and cheese one day, you know, I'm going to cringe. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to lose my mind, but if they have organic strawberries every morning, I'm going to feel better too, because I know from the FDA reports that a bowl of strawberries can have residues of 20 different pesticides in it. Yes. Yeah, and then you have to look at the, uh, well, it's probably more than a clean 15 and a, uh, what is it, clean 15 and dirty? Dirty dozen. Dirty dozen. Well, it's probably more like a dirty two dozen now. But uh, clean 15 is basically any vegetables that have thicker skins, you know, like your um, avocados and um, squash, butternut squash, things like that, that have really thick skins so that the pesticides aren't supposed to permeate it as much if you're going to eat conventionally grown fruits and vegetables. But if you're eating conventionally grown fruits and vegetables where you eat the skin, right. then, then it's a no-brainer that you're eating a lot more pesticides. I had a FDA scientist tell me years ago um, when we were discussing this issue, always peel your apples. He said, hmm. <laughs> always peel. Washing your apple is not going to help you. So no, you need to get rid of that peel. And he said, you're still not going to be pesticide free because the pesticides permeate the meat. Uh, exactly. Every- but, but it's better if you can 
can peel that apple. So, uh, well, tell us a little bit about your next book. Give us a little snippet preview. So I love this book. I hope other people will too. So far, it's gotten pretty good reviews. Um, I tried to write it as a legal thriller because my book, my first book was so difficult, I guess, to read or, or so <laughs> nerdy, I like to say, I guess, um, science-y. This book is much more of a human interest. You know, you follow a set of characters through this very, you know, dramatic court case. Um, and this poor man, Lee Johnson, who is just suffering horribly from this cancer uh, that he developed in his mid forties. And he's got two little kids and he's, you know, he's trying to survive. He's told he's not going to live very long. Um, but he takes on Monsanto in this, this trial, the first case ever to go to trial where someone is alleging exposure to Monsanto's Roundup caused them to have cancer. And um, it just was a fascinating court case for me to cover. Mm -hmm. There's so many ins and outs and so many interesting personalities and so many really just crazy plot twists. And I thought this has got to be a book. So, <laughs> so that's what it is. And there's some TV people looking at it to make it into a television series and, and things with it. So um, it's, it's a fun read. I think you won't have to, to struggle through it. <laughs> well, that sounds really exciting. Well, um, I want to remind listeners to like our show on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Give us a five-star rating on Voice America. And you can find more information about our topics of discussion today on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can go to my host page and click on the What the Food 8-Minute documentary trailer on my whatthefood.org website that's whatthefoodfilm.org and order copies of my books um i'll have my cookbook out hopefully before christmas called what the food eating organically and you may also want to help the what the food nonprofit organization by making a tax deductible donation on the site and then check out heavenlyyoga.com that's heavenlyyoga with one y Heavenly Oga, to subscribe to my Anytime Anywhere yoga classes, or join my partner Mindy and me for a revitalizing retreat at Harmony and Heart Retreats in gorgeous and serene Sedona next year. Just click on the banner on the host page, go to harmonyandheart.com, and check out our early bird discounts. And tune in next week for my interview with Frank Ferrante, from the documentary, May I Be Frank, who describes himself as what happens when Tony Soprano meets Deepak Chopra. <laughs> it's, uh, he's quite the interesting fellow. And any parting words, Carrie, to help our listeners navigate the, the uh, pesticide-laden food industry? <laughs> Uh, gosh, everything you just described sounds so interesting. Um, I'm going to be sure I'm listening and watching. Um, I would just say, you know, inform yourself. Uh, you know, this does matter. This this affects your health, your children's health, your grandchildren, great-grandchildren. You know, this, this is a future generations sort of issue that we really need to be mindful of. And the organization I work for now, US Right to Know, usrtk.org, uh, it's a nonprofit, and really all we do is investigate and get, gather documents and information and try to put it on our website where people can access it uh, for free. 
and, you know, just educate yourselves and your neighbors and others and be as involved as you can be uh, to help us have a healthier future. I, um, my own father just died of cancer uh, a month ago and actually a month ago yesterday. Mm. And so many people, I'm sure your listeners know people all around them uh, who are dying of cancer or have had cancer and, you know, toxins in the environment, pesticides in our foods and others are, are a factor. So, you know, it does matter. It is affecting us and we do need to do something about it. Absolutely. And uh, as a columnist for The Guardian, what does that entail? The Guardian is a fabulous organization and people should read that. It's also a nonprofit. It's some of the best journalists in the world, uh, really doing great work. And I'm fortunate enough that they've allowed me some column space <laughs> here and there and some, and some stories about some of my findings. So yes, you can see some of my work at The Guardian. If you Google Carrie Gillum Guardian, The Guardian, um, but they have a stable of just really talented, uh, excellent journalists doing really good work. So thank you for... And- that. Oh, sure. And they're from all over the world, I'm assuming? Yes. Yeah. International. Great. Okay. As Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y, Gillum, G-I-L-L-U-M. A-M. <laughs> A-M. Really? Yes. Sorry. A-M. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's right here, right in front of me. A-M. Very and I also have a <laughs> website. I also have my own website. I should have said CarrieGillum.com. Yes. All right. Please go to visit Carrie and learn more about what she's doing in the world to help all of us find better health, better food, and answer a lot of questions. Is there, uh, when they go to your Facebook, is there a place where they can interact with you? Sure. You can message me. Um, my, my website, CarrieGillum.com, also has a contact page where you can get my email and uh, phone number and just reach out to me that way. I'd love to get story ideas and, and talk to people and help help you find things if you need them if i can be helpful so oh that's fabulous thank you so much again for all you do in the world for all of us and um, i'm definitely going to pick up a copy of the monsanto papers because i'm very familiar with that story uh, having been a institute for responsible technology follower for many years with jeffrey smith Oh, yes. Jeffrey Smith knows it all, too. Well, great. Well, thank you for having me again, and uh, thank you for all you're doing. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. And always be kind to yourselves. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining host Karen Van Barneveld and What the Food. Be sure to tune in for another episode next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon.